Let's read verses 16 through 21, and let's jump through it. It says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic words confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So there's these two foundations upon that we see, eyewitnesses and prophecy, right? It's not just so much a blind faith, but there's credibility, right? Now listen, how many of you guys know that George Washington was real? How? Did you see him? How do you know he's real? In a painting? <laughs> not, <laughs> not very much. <laughs> it's history, right? How many of you guys were uh, alive for 9-11? Okay, just, just the adults. How do you know that's real? You guys didn't see it. So you believe me? Because I saw it? Yeah? Recordings? Well, we have crazy technology nowadays that we can make up anything. Right? Was Hitler real? Oh, definitely. Was Jesus real? Yeah. Now, and that's the key thing about history is that things are, are seen. There's eyewitnesses, and then they, there's things that are written down to back up the credibility. And so when we learn of history, that's essentially what it is, that there's eyewitnesses. People write things down, and we study it through those things. Correct? In the same sense, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus was a real person just like you and I and just like anybody else in history. Right? Now, often case, the, 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 the thing that comes into question is not that Jesus was real. There's plenty of people who, outside of Christianity, believe that Jesus was a real person. It's just oftentimes they don't think that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus is God. Okay? But we're going to come to find out that we, as Christians, through the Word of God, through prophecy and through the uh, apostles' messages and through their writings, that they were eyewitnesses that we can go back and see that there is credibility because they themselves experienced what they wrote, right? So there is a truth to it. It's beautiful. So Peter says, the very beginning of this, this uh, study, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so true because when you, when you look at Peter and the way that he said things and wrote things throughout Scripture— is that there was two things that were always attached to it. And that was the apostolic eyewitnesses, speaking of Peter and the other guys, and the testimony of the Old Testament prophecies. Okay? Now we see that at the very beginning of his, the first sermon that he gave at the day of Pentecost, right, in Acts chapter 2. An awesome, awesome uh, teaching where hundreds, thousands of guys and women were cut to the heart and they were added to the church daily. They were saved. And it's beautiful because Peter gives this wonderful sermon. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart, 
And then immediately they say, what should we do to be saved? Right? It's, it's awesome. Because then on the other side of it, you've got where Paul is preaching to, I forget what, uh, what king it was, but he says at the very end of Paul's preaching, he says, wow, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. Right? You almost, that's one of the saddest Bible verses you will ever read. Right? But it was the Holy Spirit that cut them to the heart, and they knew inside that they had to, they needed a Savior. And so they said, what, do we, what, what must we do to be saved? Right? And we know that if we confess and repent, that Jesus Christ is faithful to forgives, forgive us of our sins. So the two things that Peter has taught with is the apostolic eyewitnesses and the Old Testament prophecies. Again, it started in the day of Pentecost and continued throughout their preachings and teachings, um, and it was very evident of these two things. Now, in this second epistle in, in Peter, we see this again, that he's referring to these two evidences, okay? Eyewitnesses and prophecy, okay? And we're going to break those down a little bit. We've already talked about eyewitnesses a little bit. So, again, it's not coming from devised fables. What, what's a fable? You guys have learned this in English class, right? A fable is, it comes from the Greek noun mythos, which means a myth, correct? Right? It's referred to as speech or a conversation, also to a narrative or a story without any distinction of whether it was fact or fiction. And the opposite of a myth would refer to a fictional narrative, uh, or, or, or rather it's not a fictional narrative, as opposed to logos, the word logos, which means the truth of history. Okay, so you've got a myth, which is fiction, and then you've got logos, which is nonfiction. It's based on fact and truth. And logos is the same word that we actually see in John chapter 1. And the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, right? That word, word, is logos. Okay, and again, logos is the truth, the truth of history. So when they are teaching, when they're writing these things, they're basing it on a foundation of truth and not just mere fables, right? Not just storytelling, not just what Joseph Smith decided to do one day where he alone was spoken to by God and he started to write things of his own inspiration and not the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Because if you look at Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith is the founder and the inventor of Mormonism, correct? So he writes this book, and if you look at it, here's the ironic thing, guys. Mormons believe in the Word of God, but they also believe in the Book of Mormon, right? The book that Joseph Smith wrote, which was far after, far after what Jesus uh, uh, sending his apostles and giving his apostles the power of the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. An apostle back then they had to have, again, they had to have actually seen Jesus. You and I can have the, uh, the gifting of apostleship, but we are not really considered apostles because we've never seen Jesus. Jesus showed himself to the original apostles. Okay, that was part of their credentials. Okay, Joseph Smith, Jesus never appeared to Joseph Smith. Okay, but here's the interesting thing. They believe both, but they contradict one another. So there you can see that Joseph Smith was riding out of his butt in its fables, right? It's a myth. It's not real. It's not based on truth. Now in the word of God, every single word aligns together. Nothing contradicts. And I don't know, I don't know if you guys understand how hard that is to do. 
Let's just imagine one person wrote this book, one man wrote this book. It's hard enough to not contradict yourself, right? But we had many different men over different time periods in different geographical locations with different circumstances, and none of them contradict, correct? None of them contradict. They support one another. How is that? Well, again, they were all inspired by the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that at the end of this, this section here in chapter 1, that it's through the Holy Spirit that they're able to do that. It's through the Holy Spirit that they are able to say these things, right? And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. So they didn't follow cunningly devised fables. You know, I love that when, when Peter or Paul uh, taught the word of God, he said, look, I didn't, I didn't declare anything to you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So often we want to add our own things to it, and it ruins what the truth is. The truth is the truth. And now they say these things based on the fact that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ and his majesty. Jesus Christ and his majesty. As eyewitnesses, they could not have been deceived. Their interaction with Jesus was too intimate. And Peter said to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he says, who, he who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. They saw Jesus. They saw the miracles. They experienced it. They were with Jesus day in and day out. And then Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after, the resur- after his resurrection. Why did he do that? Well, Plainly, one of the simple reasons and understanding is that because now we have 500 eyewitnesses that can proclaim without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Just in the same way that you can sit there and say, yeah, George Washington was our first president. Why? Because it's all based on eyewitnesses. So there's this wonderful foundation of understanding that there are eyewitnesses. In John chapter 1, 1, again, uh, uh, John wrote in this verse, uh, 1 John 1, 1, John wrote, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Right? Think of Thomas, right? Who wanted to touch Jesus. You know, they actually were with him. So these are, these are eyewitnesses. In verse 17, Peter says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from, excellent, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom... I am well pleased. And so one of these experiences, one of these eyewitness accounts that Peter's going to share with us is not just, you know, when he denied Jesus and when Jesus reappeared to him uh, when they had breakfast together. But the one that he focuses on is the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, the Mount of Transfiguration, which we see in Matthew uh, chapter 17. You see it in Mark 9 and Luke chapter 9. And it's one thing that, that stuck out in his mind. And, he's, and that's what he quotes here in verse 17, when God looked down and he spoke and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now in Exodus, when God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, um, you know that he actually did more than just write it down, correct? What was the other way that the Israelites knew of the Ten Commandments besides just the tablets? Anybody know? You guys were here for this Wednesday nights. God spoke it, and they heard. I think sometimes we forget that, and as I was reading through it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I, I totally forgot that, that God spoke 
his commandments. And the reason for that is so nobody could doubt that this command, that this law came from God himself. It didn't just come from Moses, right, who just went up to the mountain and just carved the, the things for the tablets for 40 days. No, it was God himself who spoke it, and then it was God himself who wrote it down. In the same sense, we have the same thing, right? God, in the Mount of Transfiguration, doesn't appear, but he speaks, and Peter hears it, and now he's using this as an eyewitness account as he's writing it down to give give what he's saying uh, credentials, right? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I want to read it really quick in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, where Jesus is transfigured on the mount. It says in verse 1, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered, and he said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And when he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And, you know, Peter's a little ambitious. He wants to build them um, these tabernacles for each one. And that's immediately when God the Father speaks, and he speaks of his joy and his uh, approval of Jesus, right? And, and I love this because right before uh, this happens, Jesus tells his disciples how important it's going to be for them. He tells them, one, that he's going to be crucified, and then, two, he tells them how important it is for them to take up their own cross and be crucified, Right, to take up their own cross and die. Now, I can only imagine disciples hearing this and thinking, well, that's a little sketchy, right? They, they never really believed that Jesus was, was going to die. Right? They didn't want him to die. Correct? They didn't understand the, 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 the severity of the importance of it. They didn't understand the whole picture of it. They thought death was the end. Right? And so when God then speaks that he's pleased with his son, it's a reassurement to his disciples that, okay, if Jesus says he needs to die, then, and God is pleased with it, then Jesus is doing the right thing. And if Jesus is doing the right thing, then we're also doing the right thing because we're following after him in his footsteps. So there's this credibility that comes with that, and, and Peter was an eyewitness to this. It also shows in the, this Mount of Transfiguration by what God says to Jesus that Jesus was above the law, and he was above the prophets. He wasn't just another person. He wasn't just another man. He was God's beloved son. And Jesus was transformed into glory before the apostles. It wasn't so much changing his outward appearance. And it's interesting because the miracle isn't so much that, that Jesus transformed into glory, but the miracle is that Jesus is able to hold off his glory. Right? I mean, think about that. that. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God. That he shined like the sun, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2 tells us. He came displaying his glory. And Moses and Elijah, they appeared with Jesus because they represented those 
who were caught up to God. They represented the law, speaking of Moses, and the prophets, speaking of Elijah. So Moses and Elijah were connected with prophecy and also having a strong connection to the witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Now, what does all this mean? Well, again, Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, they leave us with two possibilities. Either they're telling the truth about Jesus, right? What's the other possibility? Or they're not. (laughs) Or they're doing the exact thing that Peter says they are not doing in verse 16. He says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Well, if, if they're not telling the truth, then that's exactly what they are doing. But to understand that they were eyewitnesses, the fact that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his majesty puts into consideration and, and allows us to understand that this is all based on truth, right? It is not something that is made up, okay? So again, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of what we believe in, one of the things that rests upon is the testimony of the apostles. We see that in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42, Right, that the f- one, one of the four things that we're supposed to do is to follow the teachings and the doctrine of the apostles. Right? Well, the apostles played a very important role as the foundation of the church. Right? They were the eyewitnesses and the messengers of Jesus himself. So let's look at verses 19 through 21, and then we'll wrap it up. In verse 19, it says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So not only were they eyewitnesses, okay? So there's that one foundation. There's that one leg of it. But also there was the prophecies, Okay, and the prophets. There's another credibility that we have when it comes to the word of God and then we have when it comes to our faith. Okay, well, what are, who are the prophets? What are the prophets? There's too many to go over right now, but you guys can look at their own time. We're specifically talking about uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. We're talking about uh, the prophecies made of the Messiah, Right? Now, when Jesus was born, when Jesus lived, and when Jesus died, and when he rose again, he fulfilled a good amount of prophecies. Okay? Things that prophets spoke of, and interestingly enough, some of the stuff they didn't even know what they were speaking. Right? They didn't know what they were saying, and they didn't even see it come to pass because it was hundreds, if not thousands of years later, when it came to pass. So a lot of the prophecies that we see concerning the Messiah, we see that in, in the book of Isaiah, um, they were, they were uh, spending their time, not the prophets, but the apostles in, in Acts, spending their time appealing that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? So the prophets were telling, well, the Messiah was coming. People didn't believe the Messiah was there when Jesus was there. And then the apostles were saying, well, this was Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is God. Okay, so it's all pointing to Jesus as Messiah. So in verse 19, let's look at this really quick. He says, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, right? Meaning that these prophecies were confirmed, they were validated, they came to pass. Not just some of them, but all of them, right? It's not like you take a test and get a 99 on it, which would be great, right? If you ever got a 99 on a test, 
we would all pretty much love that, right? Well, when it comes to prophecy, that's failure, right? It has to be 100% true for every single prophecy that comes to pass, and that's exactly what has happened and is continuing to happen because there's still some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled. And not for the sake of that they're wrong, but for the sake of a time frame that they just haven't come about yet, right? But in regards to some of the prophecies of the Messiah, of Jesus, they have been fulfilled. So Peter tells us that they have been confirmed, and he says that, that we would do well if we heed to them as a light that shines in a dark place. Look at this. There are at least 332 separate and distinct Old Testament predictions regarding Jesus as Messiah that were fulfilled, that were perfectly fulfilled, okay? The combination of this evidence together from a simple statistical perspective, Patrick, you'll love this, is absolutely overwhelming. A professor calculated the probability of any one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies is one in, it has 17 zeros behind it. So, (laughs) 10 to the 17th power, okay? So however, that number, uh, that num- the number, wait, that number of silver dollars would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Isn't that crazy? The professor also says that if you consider 48 of the prophecies, that the odds would then become not in your favor. It'd be 10 to the 157th power. Now, Friday, how many of you guys tried to win the Mega Millions? Just kidding, you're too young. The Mega Millions jackpot on Friday was over a billion dollars. One billion dollars. That would put you up there in the ranks of Bezos and Musk. One billion dollars, and somebody from Michigan won on Friday. And obviously after taxes, that's like around almost 800 million, which is like, what are you going to do with that, right? Um, One billion dollars. You had a higher chance of winning the Mega Millions jackpot than for these prophecies to actually come true. And that's not even a good comparison because it's so minute compared to that. So that gives us credentials, evidence, right, that these things that are spoken of, they said they would come to pass, they said this and this and that and that would happen, and guess what? Every single one did. That's crazy. I mean, look, our weatherman can't even tell us us if it's going to rain tomorrow, right? Well, there's a high chance that it may or may not rain tomorrow. It's 50% chance. Well, what does that tell us? That it could do one or the other, right? That's not how it is. The prophets of old were not the weatherman. They spoke it like it was, and they didn't speak of their own interpretation, right? Peter says that, that these prophets uh, here in verse 20, they they didn't speak of the scripture in any private interpretation. It wasn't their own interpretation. It didn't come from themselves, but rather, in verse 21, the prophecy came by, it didn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as we see how scripture came about outside of prophecy, and also because of in prophecy, it was all by the moving of the Holy Spirit, right? The inspiration of God, meaning it was God breathed. So every single word in the word of God comes from God himself. Anything outside of that doesn't. Right? This is the truth and it is founded upon evidence of eyewitnesses and prophecies that have been fulfilled. I could only imagine what it's like to win $800 million. You know, you're probably like thinking in your mind, 
I'd go here, I'd do that. You wouldn't ever see me again, right? One billion dollars, one billion dollars. There's a higher chance of winning that than all these prophecies coming true, yet they all did. I think, I think winning it was like one in 300 million or billion chance of winning or something. I think it was one in 300 million. Um, so let's continue. So though, the, though these scriptures are fulfilled, Peter's telling us that we would, we, need to, uh, we would do well to take heed, right? Meaning that we need to not neglect these prophecies, not neglect the Old Testament scriptures, but we need to take heed that we need to still be in them and know them and read them and study them. And he likens them unto a light that shines in the darkness, in the dark place, right? And it's, it's a simple revelation and a correlation to just the word of God itself that the word of God tells us in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? It is the word of God that brings light into the darkness. Right? It's the word of God that is truth in the midst of lies. And he says, This will serve a purpose until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's this is likely a reference to the coming of Jesus when he comes again. And this is a reference again, uh, when he talks about the morning star, Jesus is likened to the bright and morning star in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Now when it comes to prophecy, again, one of the key things I want to point out in verse 20 is that it was not up to private interpretation, okay? This is where we get different sects of Christianity, right? We get Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and all these different sects where, you know, like we've, Jesus is there. Now, for Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe that Jesus is God, so that's huge, right? Um, but th there's, there's a similarity to all of them, but some of them are, have strayed from the truth because they've been devised uh, fables, right? From somebody who has spoken, and it's usually just one person, and prophecy doesn't work that way. It's not just based on one person. And usually it comes from one person who is speaking of their own private interpretation, right? How many times have you seen a video where they're like, well, God appeared to me and he told me. I mean, isn't that like hundreds of thousands of different titles of YouTube videos, right? And I mean, it's funny. I would encourage you, this week, hopefully we're going to post a video that Pastor Kevin uh, one of our biblical perspectives based on false prophets. And there were many false prophets in, in December 2020 and before that where they predicted, where they prophesied that Donald Trump would win a second election. Every single one of them was wrong, right? Well, God, God came to me and he told me that Donald Trump, without a doubt, is going to win a second term. Well, uh, no. No, he didn't. And so what, what, what we come to find out is that when it comes to prophecy, we don't just take it at its word, okay? I don't just, okay, well, you said that God appeared to you? Oh, okay. No, no, no. We, it has to be confirmed, and we look for the confirmation through the word of God, right? The word of God is, was, and will be. It's here for us to use and to have. And we're going to see, too, that these, when it comes to prophecy, that it's not just backed up by one person, but rather there is multiple. I love this. So prophecy never comes by the will of man, but by holy men of God. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
It only comes through holy men of God and through the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's not just uh, inventing the subject of their own predictions. The ancient prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't even know what they were speaking of sometimes when they wrote themselves. And they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved here is the Greek word pharaoh, which translated has the sense of carried along, as a ship being carried along by the wind or the current. Right? So they were inspired and moved along by God's Spirit. It is God himself, himself speaking authoritatively through human instruments. Now there is the gift of prophecy even today. Right? There are many gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of prophecy is one of them. But the gift of prophecy is not always based on predictive things. Right? Many of the prophets in the Old Testament, some of what they spoke of in the future, they, they spoke of, look, these are the consequences, this is where you are heading. So when the prophets spoke to Israel, sometimes it wasn't so much predictive, but it was, hey Israel, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. But if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Right? It's kind of like when I talk to my son. Well, son, if you keep being bad, this is what's going to happen. There's consequences, right? You're going to get a spanking. You're going to get in timeout. It's the same thing the prophet said to Israel. But son, if you repent and you seek forgiveness and you change your attitude and you start doing what you need to do, well, then this is what's going to happen, right? Then there are no consequences. And usually there's blessings that are tied to it. That's the same thing that the prophet spoke to Israel, right? And when we, when we see that with Israel, there was prophets, there was judges, there was fall, there was rises. You look at Israel's nation, it was doing this, the entirety of it, right? So prophecy is not so much, it's not always predictive of the future. Look at this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Speaking of the gift of prophecy, it says this. This is Paul. He says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So those three things accompany prophecy. It's not so much me standing up here and saying, well, the world's going to end in 40 days. Right? No, part of it is edification, exhortation, and comfort to men, which is all tied to the word of God. Right? Now, the gift of tongues is a gift that where you speak and it's addressed to God and God alone right? Unless there's an interpreter and somebody interprets and you hear it, but then again, it's still just speaking to God, right? There's really no real edification to it because it's between you and God, but with prophecy, prophecy is addressed to men, and the purpose of prophecy is to build you up in Jesus and the things of the Holy Spirit. The gift of prophecy can be used to comfort believers. You know, if a person's going through a hard time, trials, Uh, tribulations, whatever it may be, it's comforting to know that God is still on the throne, right? It's comforting to know that even in the midst of what we've been through and what we're going through, that God is still sovereign. We see that in the word of God. It's comforting to know that, that God understands, right? That he can relate to us, that we have a high priest who can relate to us. He's not just some rich guy that has never been poor before, right? No, he's gone through the suffering. He's He's been tempted by sin, yet he was perfect and, and never fell into sin, right? But he understands it, right? So we can relate. We have this God who can relate to us, and that helps us through our circumstances. It helps to know that when God tells me that he will never forsake me, well, he will never forsake me. 
So part of prophecy is comforting men. It is uh, exhorting others and edifying others. And the gift of prophecy is always done orderly. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, uh, you probably have never been to a church, but maybe you've seen on YouTube where some people get like slain in the spirit or uh, they start shaking and they start dancing and they start getting chaotic and they're spinning around or they start yelling. Have you guys ever seen that? Yeah? And it's, it's pretty dumb. The word tells us, actually, do this with me because I don't have it on, I don't have the verse on me, but, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 so we're all on the same page. When it, when it comes to the Spirit of God, it is always orderly and it's never chaotic. It is always orderly. So 1 Corinthians 14, I want to find the exact verse. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 will just completely obliterate the notion that you have to spin around and go crazy to be filled with the Spirit, okay? Or to, to, to do any such fruit or gifting of the Spirit, okay? There's, no, there's really no weirdness to it, okay? Verse 32 says this, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, Right? It's not that like the Holy Spirit takes control of us and we have no control anymore. Right? That's, that's not what the, the word is telling us here. Again, it's the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So there is order that comes along with the Holy Spirit. There is order that comes along with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not sporadic. If, if you say, well, I, I couldn't help it. No, no, no. You could. If, if, you, if you're saying you couldn't help it, well, then you're contradicting the word of God, right? You're contradicting who the Holy Spirit is, right? We always talk about Jesus. Jesus is a gentleman. He'll never force you to do anything, right? In the same sense with the Holy Spirit. So the gift of prophecy specifically here is to be done orderly. In verse 29, if we look at this, it says, Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge, right? So it was always more than just one person uh, who prophesied, it was multiple, right? It wasn't just, you know, one person that God spoke to. It was usually a few different people, and it confirmed that God was speaking. You know, uh, far too often we say, well, God told me. And I'll ask you this, did God really tell you, right? Did God really tell you? I mean, how many times do we bring that up, and, and that's taking God's name in vain, if you didn't know that. If you're putting words in God's mouth when he really didn't tell you, but it's just the Christian thing to say, or it's because you want to do something, well, God told me to, uh, you know, serve in Africa, you know, or, or something. Well, most of the time what happens is that's what you want to do, and you're making it seem like God is telling you to do it. God will confirm to you, and he will tell you, and m more often than not, he will tell you through his word, Right? He might confirm it through someone else in, a, in another person who comes up to me and says, hey, Jeffrey, God told me such and such. Well, if God hasn't been telling me, then I may or may not believe that guy. I need to judge it, right? The Bible tells us that we're not to just accept it, we're to judge it, correctly? We're to judge it, okay? But maybe God has been speaking and then somebody out of the blue comes up and, and tells me something and confirms it. 
right? He confirms it. And he, oftentimes he confirms it with more than just one person. It's multiple people. So the gift of prophecy, it's real. It is alive and present today, but there is an order to it, right? And it's more than just being predictive. It's more than just being a fortune teller, right? Otherwise, if that were the case, well, I would have won the uh, Mega Millions jackpot because I would have known the numbers, right? No, but you know what I mean. So uh, these two things, these two credentials that we have when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the word of God, right? Our relationship with Jesus is 100% founded on faith, okay? It is all about faith, that we cannot be saved apart from faith, okay? So don't ever neglect that. We walk by faith and not by sight. But we also know that there is the foundation and the understanding that there is the credibility of eyewitnesses and prophecies that have been fulfilled, right? And a part of our apologetics is understanding that because people will come and say, well, it's just a fairy tale. Well, no, it's not. It's just as much of history as it is with anything else that you learn, right? The difference between this and a history book is that this word is from God himself and it's alive and it's active. <laughs>